0: We are in the middle of a series entitled The New Rules for Love, Dating, and Sex. And if you'd like to get the digital download or the message notes, just go to the app. You can follow along digitally and fill in the blanks there. Also, uh, before I go into the message, if you want to submit a question that in two weeks Phyllis and I are going to stand up here and answer. We've already gotten so many great questions, but maybe you've got a question regarding relationships, marriage, dating, whatever it is, uh, and you want us to answer it, I encourage you to go into the app, and you can fill it out anonymously, and then we're going to try to answer as many questions as we can two weeks from now when we resume this series. Now, someone might say, Hey, Pastor, why are we doing a series that is primarily geared towards single people. You know, have a church with a lot of married people. And uh, so why are we really focusing this series on the topics that really impact single people, whether young, single people, middle age, older, it doesn't matter. Why would we do that? And the reason I have decided to do that this series is because, number one, I've never done that before. Most of the conversations have been from a perspective of marriage. But I really feel like for us... We have got to give young people and single people the correct vision for what marriage can and should be. And so we've got to really single out some of these big concepts that, to be honest with you, they're a little bit awkward. They're a little bit hard to have these conversations. And, you know, even this week as I was preparing for this message, you know, my heart just grappled. We're going to get into, this will be the last tough talk we have Uh, You saw the message where they said, hey, it's going to be a little bit mature. Last week and this week really are a little bit difficult in the church environment and settings because it's conversations that we've got to have that a lot of times as parents you never have with your child. And so the concepts that we're talking about many times have been taboo in the church. Like, hey, the world can talk about it. Anybody else can talk about it. But really, is that appropriate for the church? And what I would say is this. We absolutely must talk about tough subjects. I mean, as a pastor, I, I, listen, we got fun topics. We got easier topics. We, but at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before God saying, did I speak the truth, the whole counsel of the word of God? Did you talk about tough things? Did you talk about hard things, things that make people a little bit uncomfortable, and I really felt like in this series, today is a day that can set you free. You know, last week was really you know, geared towards men, and, and today is really geared towards everyone, and it's something that really impacts each and every one of us. And single people, if you can get this, you can have a great marriage, And that's the the goal, right, is a lot of people say, well, Pastor, I don't even know what a great marriage looks like. I've never had uh, an example of what a great marriage looks like. My parents are divorced. It's a terrible situation, and I don't know that it's even possible. I want to give you hope. It is possible that God can use you to be the example to your family, to your friends, to the people around you. Even if you didn't have a great example, there is hope. God gives us the ability to live out a marriage that is amazing. How All the married people, can't you have an amazing marriage? Amen. Not always easy. Not always without friction and conflict. But this is what we look for in the churches. I'm looking for a healthy marriage not looking for a perfect if you're looking to see somebody's got a perfect marriage I don't have a perfect marriage but I will tell you this I have a healthy marriage in fact today Phyllis and I celebrate 17 years of marriage today We are ride or die I mean she ain't going nowhere and I ain't going nowhere unless she kills me like that's it and there's days that she wants to kill me but that's okay she won't do it cuz she's a Christian But as a single person, you got to know this. Whatever you're doing right now is either going to set you up for success or failure in the future. And for us, we've got to say, listen, I'm going to make conscious decisions to set myself up for a successful marriage. Now, week one, we talked about love and the right person myth. And last week, we talked about dating and what it means to to treat a woman as a man. Now, today, we're going to talk about sex and sexual intimacy. And so we are going to dive into this topic because we live in a hyper-sexualized culture. I mean, really, sex is everywhere, and the, the, the culture uses sex to sell. And you walk into the mall, and we know Victoria's got all of her secrets on display. What's she doing? She's selling, right? You, you drive up and down the freeway, even off of Highway 59, and you see sexual billboards. Why? What are they doing? They are selling a commodity, You go watch commercials. I mean, it's the craziest thing. Never knew shampoo was so sexy. It's it's something that marketers use to sell. And so we've got to understand there is a battle for our minds, and there's a battle for our hearts. And as the church, we cannot remain silent on these issues. But we've got to be on the forefront. We cannot allow the world to redefine what God created. The world did not create sex. God did. So the world can't define it. They have to acknowledge and say, and we as believers say, listen, there is a design for sex. Our God created it, and so it's important for us to have his perspective on what sex really is. The world just wants to distort it. The world wants us to make bad decisions on bad information. How many of you have ever had wrong information and you really believed it was right? Anybody anybody ever had, I mean, you make some pretty dumb decisions when that happens. I know for me, I've I've had that happen, but recently, Phyllis and I, we've got four kids. We have a 10-year-old, we have an 8-year-old, we have a 5-year-old and a 4-year-old, and as a parent, it's so funny for them to talk about things they think they really know, but they don't know anything about it. You ever had, like, they think they're so smart, they're going to tell, I'm like, what did you say? Oh, Dad, yeah, no, 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 baby, that's not not really the way it happens. That's not really the truth. And so then we go on and we try to enlighten them. Recently, Phyllis and I were driving on Friday, our family fun day. Uh, If you ever try to get in touch with me on a Friday, I turn my phone off. I'm all engaged with my family. And so we were driving somewhere, Chuck E. Cheese and... My whole family's hanging out in the car and having these great conversations, turning the volume of the music. We're all jamming, turn it down. And in one of those moments, my five-year-old, my daughter Addison, she said, Hey, Dad. I said, Hey, babe, what's up? She said, Is it true you went to jail? (laughs) You know, you kind of caught me off guard. I said, Went to jail. Now, if you don't know, when I was 22, I was uh, arrested for disorderly conduct. Your pastor was locked up might have been in there with some of your family. Who knows? <laughs> Didn't even know it. <laughs> and so uh, we're talking and my boys are like, oh, yeah, dad was locked up. Ha, 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 ha. And so Addison is, is just thinking. You tell she's pondering. She said, well, dad, did they give you sweet tarts and milk? And it was just such a random comment. I'm like, sweet tarts and do what? She said, oh, yeah, 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 sweet tarts and milk. Did When you were locked up. Did they give you sweet tarts and milk? And and, and I said, no, baby. Why would would they ever give you sweet tarts and milk? She said, well, Caleb told me. So just so you don't know, my nephew, her cousin, is a sheriff for the sheriff's department. And how many know if a sheriff doesn't know, then nobody knows? So she doesn't even believe me. So now my five-year-old daughter, you cannot convince her otherwise. She believes that everyone who gets locked up gets sweet tarts and milk. Yeah, a little crazy. She believes wrong information, and you can't tell her otherwise. I would say it like this. We as people many times have believed wrong information about sex. So the world has sold us a lie about sex, and that lie that we have bought hook, line, and sinker is this, that sex is just physical. That as long as there are two consenting adults and they have this physical act of sex, there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing happens. It's it's okay. There is no harm in the act because it is just a physical act. That's the lie. And the problem is there are so many people that believe that lie. The truth is this, sex is not just physical. There is such a depth to sex that sex on the inside of us connects us with the person we're having sex with in a spiritual and emotional way unlike anything else you could ever experience. And look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. So you got to know this, that if you believe sex is just physical, you're going to live your life with scars of wounds of past sexual experiences. It says this, flee from sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? It's this, it is surrendering of sexual purity. So you're surrendering your sexual purity. It says all of the sins a person commits are outside of the body. So any other sin that you do, it's outside the body. But this one is actually against your own body. So that when you commit sexual immorality having sex outside of marriage, it actually wounds you at the deepest level of who you are, that it's inside of you. And, and, and I think this, listen, most of us, we know this intuitively. I mean, I know we're hearing other things from the world, but, but we really, we, we, I think we're, we know this. It's, sex is not just physical. So when something happens like someone is raped or there's sexual abuse or sexual molestation, See, if it was just physical, then it would be like a bruise or a broken arm. I mean, you just bind it up, give it a little bit of time, and you're going to be all better. Just go on your way, get on with life. But if you've ever been sexually abused, you've ever been raped, or you know someone that has, and almost everybody in here has, we know that's simply not true. That when you are abused sexually, that it scars you and wounds you at the deepest core of who you are and for many people it takes a lifetime to heal from that wound and some people you may know them maybe you're that it may never heal because they don't know how to address something that was not just a physical act Sex is connected to the very core of who we are, the deepest part of our being. It connects us spiritually and emotionally. And when we've had sex with someone, whether it's voluntarily or whether we were violated, we gave them the most intimate part of ourselves. So when they reject us, when they leave us, when they go somewhere else, it wounds us at the core of who we are. Single people, listen to me. God designed sex and this expression of intimacy, and it's good. She like, baby, you better say amen. It is good. All the married people said amen. Hey, listen. Amen. Hey, let me just tell you this. I, as you pastor, I ain't going to lie. I'm not going to tell you it's bad. It's terrible. Oh, it's great. Feels good. Woo! Woo! That's just, boom. Just, and if it ain't good, you're doing it wrong. Come on, preach. That's why you got so many babies here at the church. But sex was intended to be experienced in the intimacy of marriage, a covenant relationship. What what intimacy is, intimacy is to know and to be fully known to know and to be fully known. And for someone who, who is a man and a woman coming together, the beautiful thing about sex inside of marriage is that you know me wholly and complete me, completely. You love my belly. You love my cellulite. I can run around just naked as a jaybird, and you're going to love every piece of me. Come on, right? That's the beauty of marriage. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Why? Because you love me. It is fearless. When it's experienced in the way God designed it, it's, it's amazing. You have confidence. You have amazing assurance. You know that this person loves you, and you trust them, and they trust you. And inside the context of marriage, it's amazing. Look at Genesis. So God created man in his, no, Adam and Eve. Here it is, Genesis 2.25. Adam and Eve, his wife, they were both naked, and they felt no shame. There was no shame in their game. No shame. In the context of marriage, let me tell you, there is no shame. You are fearless. It is amazing to see what happens in the context of marriage, which is the way God designed it. I want to help us understand it just a little bit more as well. Listen, God is a triune being. He is three persons, yet one. We know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no division, all one, yet set. There are three persons that are unique. And the Bible says that we were created in his image, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image, the image of God. He created them both male and female. So I want to show you a picture that will help you illustrate something that's going to really, I think, free you to understand God's perspective of intimacy and sexual intimacy. So we are a triune being. We are spirit, soul, and body. You with me? Just like God. So you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Your spirit is God-conscious, your soul is self-conscious, and your body is actually earth-conscious. And so we know that we are a spirit. So when you hear me talk about being born again and you having a salvation moment, which so many of you, over 1,100 people in the last four years have had a salvation experience here at the church. Amazing. You'll hear me say go from death to life. What happens before salvation, your spirit man is dead. Dead to sin dead to this to God, and there's a separation, but when you are saved, it's your spirit man that is born again. It's your spirit man that comes alive. Now, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Now, the soul and body connect with this physical world. Your soul is your mind, your will, and emotions, so it's what you think. It's what you feel. It's the whole rationale of who you are, and then your body just does whatever your soul tells it to do. And why this is important is because you've got to know that as a Christian, so many people that I meet—they're confused. They say, "Well, listen, when I am born again, I ought to just change magically, like woo, life is different. Woo, I don't smoke, I don't do anything. I mean, woo, all my past everything." But the truth is, that's not what happens. Your spirit comes alive. That's what we call justification. That happens in a moment. You're justified. But now comes sanctification, and sanctification is living out this spiritual walk that God's called us to live. That's dying to the self, that's crucifying the flesh, that's aligning my will to his will, my emotions to his emotion. Everything that I have to him and saying, God, I'm going to live this out. And then what happens is I tell my body to act right. Right, say, like, hey! Listen, don't do that. We used to do that. We don't do that no more. We do this. And so, your spirit man is constantly trying to break into your soulish man, which then is demonstrated in your natural body. You with me? John three six talks about this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so we understand that when we're born again, it's just the spirit that becomes brand new. Now, get this. This is, this is the key point for today. Listen, you can give your spirit to God and still be connected to someone else in your soul. So, God, I'm brand new. I got a new life and a new spirit on the inside of me. And yet have what we call soul ties. Oh, but I thought I was brand new. No, no, you're, you're brand new, but your mind, your will, and your emotions are still connected to that person that you became sexually intimate with. That's what a tie is. A tie is something that binds you, that fastens you, that attaches you, that restrains you. And so a soul tie is an attachment that you have in your mind or your emotions to a person that can influence your choices and your will. So you got to get this. So we think, well, I'm saved, it's all good. Listen, no, if you've been sexually intimate with someone, you actually have a soul tie that now binds you in your life. Now, in the context of marriage, this is amazing, right? That's the way God intended for it to happen. Look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. Now, the Bible doesn't actually use the word soul ties. The Bible actually uses words like unite and join Means brought together, they're united. So look at Matthew 19, 6. It says, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined. Everybody say join. join. Say it again, say join. join. So what God has joined, a husband and a wife, let no man separate. Okay, now look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Everybody say united. united. So be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Bring out this illustration. So this is amazing. It's God's design for us in the context of marriage. Two unique individuals becoming one. As Genesis said, they leave your father, leave your mother, united to your wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So I want to give you an illustration. All week, I'm telling you, listen, some of you are going to be free today. Here's what I want to give us an illustration. So it's oil and water. So this blue represents men. Come on, men. The oil represents women Woo! Woo! That's a little bit better so so the 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 water. And the oil, and so really what this represents is the man in his family unit, right? He's growing up. He's a teenager. He's becoming a young man, and what we're going to do is we're going to put this man in a new family unit, which is where the man leaves his father and his mother, and he unites himself with a wife. They become one. They start a new family, right? So the man leaves home. And he's getting his family together, his home together. He's working, saying, okay, listen, this is gonna be our new family. And so he meets this girl. And she loves him and he loves her. And so they're gonna start this family together. They both have left their, their mother and their father and they're starting this family together. Now, if you know anything about oil and water, how many know they don't mix? Somebody's like, that's my marriage. <laughs> so here's the thing. God knew that a man is for Mars and women are for Venus. Totally different. Have different points of view, different perspectives. As a pastor, you know, when someone gets divorced, most of the time on the, the divorce certificate is irreconcilable differences. I'm thinking that's every marriage. I mean, it's good. Like it's awesome, but you got some moments where how many ladies you want to kill your husband? You're like, I will kill you. And then the men you're like, I'm gonna kill you. You know, it's death to us part, you're gonna die pretty quick. And in Rosenberg, you gotta watch it. It may happen. So so here we (laughs) So so you have this Mixing of two people that have nothing in common. They're not the same. They, you know, it really is like oil and water. It's like if he says black, she says blue. If it's purple, it's white. I mean, it's just always opposite. And, and I want you to notice God knew that. He designed that. And that's the beauty of sex, is that in the context of marriage, an egg with oil and water is an emulsifier. It'll actually combine two agents that normally wouldn't be combined. Sexual intimacy is that same thing, that God uses sex to unite a man and a woman, one man, one woman, for the rest of their life. I've been really oh, I stole your playlist. Oh, you can't just have one. I mean, oh, if I had more, I'd just throw them all in there. And then, come on, sweet loving, right? You got sweet loving. This only just happened on itself. I mean, you got... Minute man. So it's happening. And it's a lifetime. Mm. So here's what happens. It's my wedding anniversary. So, here, so here's what happens. Listen, this is the beauty of It's two people that were totally opposite, couldn't even get on the same page, now or ride or die. Hey, listen, that's my boo. Yeah, we may argue, we may fight, but we're going to ride it for the rest of That's why it's until death do us part. But what we've done is we've allowed the world to define it and say it's just physical. No, baby, every sexual encounter that you have ever had has done this in your life. So what a soul tie is, right? See, you didn't realize. You thought it was just physical, and so now what was a bond, like I love this person, has now become a bondage, who was your soulmate, has now become a soul tie. You don't even see them anymore, and yet you constantly think about them. Listen, single people, you're like, man, I'm just in bed. You're always going back to those bad situations, those bad relationships, and you're like, I don't understand. Like, Why is it that I can't get away? It's because you have united yourself with a person outside of God's intent, and now you have a soul tie in your life. Look, show them this picture. So the picture of this, I want you to see what it looks like to have a soul tie. So every sexual encounter you have, you are now tied to that person that you had a sexual encounter. That's why, listen, we got to be bold enough in the church to tell our young kids, my boys will watch this. Why? Because I want them to know that an ungodly soul tie is an assignment against your destiny. See, the devil tried to trap you and make you think it didn't matter, but it was an attack of the enemy to destroy the destiny that God placed on the inside of you. And now that you recognize it, we just got to break it. And so you have these moments where you're thinking about that person and you're tormented in your mind like, I can't get them out of my mind. And listen, married people, this is is the problem in many marriages, is that you found the person that you're spending the rest of your life with. How do I know? Because you married them. Whether you feel it or not, that is your ride-or-die partner until you die. And so the problem is you've had sexual encounters in the past, and you don't know why you're being tormented with those relationships when you're trying your hardest with everything on the inside of you. I want to love them. God, I know you put us together. God, this is supposed to be new. But the problem is you still have these soul ties that though you are brand new in your spirit, in your mind, you're still connected in your soul. God doesn't want it to be that way. Philippians chapter four, verse seven says his peace would transcend all understanding and guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Those ungodly soul ties will plague your mind, plague your soul. You have to get rid of them. Listen, single people, this is the first thing you got to know. Commit to stay sexually pure until you get married. That's the commitment. Commitment. Listen, if you've not had sex, I want you to remain sexually pure. If you've not had sexual encounters, I want you to remain sexually pure. Don't buy the lie that it's just physical. It doesn't really matter. Maybe I, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I want you to know it absolutely matters. That is an attack of the enemy to lure you away from God's plan, to bind you with ungodly soul ties, and to try to rob your destiny. And then you feel hopeless and confused and you keep going back to that abuse. If you allow that to happen, you got to say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay pure until I get married. The second thing is this. If you have had sexual intimacy with someone outside of marriage, you've got to sever those soul ties. you got to sever them. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're married. You realize in this moment, this morning, that, man, I've got this soul tie, there's something that's been plaguing you. You recognize that the enemy is plaguing you with this ungodly soul tie that you should have never had, but you do have it. And I want to help you with this this morning. Number one is you've got, how do you break it? Everybody say, how do I break it? How many of you want to know how to break a soul tie? Here's the first thing. You've got to have a relationship with God. You've got to have a relationship with God. An ungodly soul tie is only broken through the power of God in a relationship with God. And there's some of you here this morning, you guys can go ahead and play. That the first thing is, you just got to have a relationship with God. You just got to say, God, you have made me brand new. So you have the power to break this in my life. Some of you are here this morning, you don't have a relationship with God. You just came, maybe you saw the topic and you thought, oh, that'd be a good day to go check out church. Sex. Come on, honey. And you didn't know it was a setup, a divine setup where God would grab your heart, help you understand there's hope because you've been feeling hopeless, and let you know that he is, needs to be at the center of your life. So this is the first thing you've got to have a relationship with God. second thing is you've got to repent and renounce that soul tie. Listen, dude, you've got to you, you gotta repent what's repentance it's not being hyper spiritualized it's not being religious it's really just changing my thinking i'm going to change the way i think and we understand 1 corinthians chapter 6:18 i said it earlier you got to flee from sexual immorality you got to flee it And so your mentality is listen, I once believed it was just physical, it didn't really matter, but now I understand that it does matter. And God, I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna change my thinking on this subject. And I recognize that what I was doing was a sin. Whether you knew it or not, you repent. You say, God, I'm asking you to forgive me. The second thing, part of that is you gotta renounce it. You have to audibly. Renounce your soul tie with that person. You have to say, "I renounce the soul tie I have with," and you have to say their name. I renounce it, God. I'm asking you to forgive me. I I I'll never forget when I was 22, Phyllis was 21. That's how young we were when we got married, and we had made some bad choices in our life. We'd both had other sexual partners. And I'll never forget. When we got into the marriage, you know, it was awesome. You know, the first two days. I'll never forget my mom was seeing us having some problems and stuff, and she sent us off. Somehow we got connected with this deliverance ministry. I didn't really realize the power of it then, but now I recognize it. You know, the power of what happened in that deliverance ministry, what happened, they had us renounce our sexual partners. And the the things that we were projecting on each other, we didn't even realize it. Like, hey, we didn't, you know, I I knew it was wrong. But I didn't have a vision as to why it was wrong. I just knew you just don't do it. I did it. We messed up. And I just remember going in and they'd say, you have to renounce by name. And, you know, I was more than one, unfortunately. (laughs) Somebody like, I get it, Pastor. I'm right there with you. (laughs) I mean, to make light of it. But I just remember the power of everyone that that as I would renounce it, I renounced my soul tie with, mm. you know what happened? Man, it felt like the change just broke off. I renounced my soul tie with, boom. I just walked through that process of renouncing a, a chain that has bound you. And you know, my heart has been real heavy for married people. Listen, I get it. So our church, so many people are brand new in the faith. Like, it is amazing. That's what we always wanted. Not a recycling of Christians, but people that came off the streets, people that didn't have a relationship. But what you got to understand is you've got to grow up into the faith. You've got to say, okay, God, let me understand spiritual principles. And what I saw was marriages that are headed towards divorce, God's gonna redirect it because now you realize, man, that's that's a soul tie. I can break that through the power of God. See I got a relationship with him. I thought it was just us that there was irreconcilable differences, no way around it. But now I recognize the devil was trying to destroy my destiny. That's you. So you just, I repent. I renounce that soul tie in my life. Then the next thing you got to do is you pray, God, release and restore. Release me from the soul tie and restore what the enemy tried to steal. Thank God we serve a God of restoration. That my yesterday doesn't have to define my future. That God, you give me hope that in the midst of bad decisions, you can break it off. The the, the things the devil meant to destroy, to kill, and to steal from my life. God, you're the God of restoration. And Lord, let me be an example to my family, to my friends, to the world around us, that God, you restore broken things. And then the next thing is this. you got to remove all mementos and trophies. Anything that you have of the old person, maybe it's a Love letter, old shirts, clothing, songs. Listen, you got a playlist and there's a song that comes up. Reminds you of that person. You just got to remove it. Why? Because you're not going to tolerate anything that would destroy your future relationship or your relationship right now. Then you got to rejoice. Part of that is just saying, God, I just rejoice in what you've done. God, I rejoice in freedom. I thank you for what you have done, whether I feel it or not, that I am set free. And then you need to repeat this. You've got to do it over and over again. Whatever soul ties you've had in your life, you just got to go back and say, God, I'm going to break that soul tie. And you get rid of anything that would remind you of that person. And I want to encourage you this as a church. If you have not gotten into a life small group, which is living in freedom every day. We have, uh, I think, nine of them happening right now. Over 100 people are in them right now. The beauty of those live small groups is that we help you close the door on the past. And open the door to the future. And really, there's an encounter weekend. It's the only small group we have where there's an encounter. And you spend that weekend breaking off the chains that the enemy tries to wrap you up with. And then by the end of the conference, you you have the ability to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk in His power in this earth. Now, they're closed this semester, but I encourage every one of you to get in one. Why? Because it helps us close the door on the past. And I want you to know this that every person in this place, God is faithful and just to forgive us. You hadn't gone too far. You hadn't done too much. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive us of all the past things that we have done. Isn't it good to serve a God of redemption?